welcome to Movie Fixers, the podcast where we don't just critique movies, but also ask, couldn't they be better? I'm your host, Tony, and with me as always is my sonny, my soul sister, and the only one of the two of us that can pull off a corset. And I have pulled off a corset. It's Matt. <laughs> How you doing, Matt? Hi, Tone. I'm doing all right. Are you, are you ready for this movie that I picked out? <laughs> I kind of am, and I'm glad you did. We had a request to do Cats, but unfortunately, we're not in a place with this where we can do movies that are still in theaters. So, Well, and I don't have any hallucinogenics that I can take beforehand, so I'm not prepared to see Cats yet. Right, right. We'll, uh, we'll have to get on that. But I am excited about this one. Do you want to tell the audience what we're doing? Yeah, um, so we've gotten a little bit of, I don't want to say criticism, some feedback for sticking with a, a particular genre, specifically sci-fi and fantasy. And I was just thinking, what would be like almost the antithesis of that? What would it, what would be so different than that? And I was like, you know what, we should do a movie musical. Because the in the world of movie musicals, it seems like they're either excellent or they're not. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of in-between, which is where we like to play on this podcast and i'm not really sure what made me think of it but uh the movie burlesque came to mind it came out back in 2010 yep so it's a decade old now and it stars Cher and christina aguilera along with a few other people and it was it was a little movie that that wanted to be something more than it was and i think once we get into it our our listeners might understand why we feel that way Agreed. But first, we need to summarize the the story, because not everyone who listens to Movie Fixers watches the movies, and I don't blame you. So I was originally going to just read the IMDb synopsis. Uh, the problem that Matt and I normally have is that we'll spend 40 minutes describing the movie before we start critiquing it and fixing it. And in an effort to fix that, I thought, I'm just going to go on to IMDb and read the synopsis. So Matt, are you ready? Here it goes. Yes. A small town girl ventures to Los Angeles and finds her place in a neo-burlesque club run by a former dancer. That's it. That's the whole movie in a nutshell. <laughs> honestly, I'm going to be honest. I, I felt like they could have said more in, and in, in, in feeling that I wrote more. I've written a synopsis of my own, uh, one that I think uh, aptly describes this film and what this film reminds me of. Uh, I've got like a paragraph here. Do you mind if I read this synopsis, Matt? Honestly, lay it on me. I, I'm excited for it. All right, here we go. There was a girl, a very strange, enchanted girl. They say she wandered very far, very far over land and, well, at least some lakes. A little shy, not, ba not bad on the eye, but very entitled was she. <laughs> and then one day, she gave him the old razzle-dazzle and all that jazz. And the boys <laughs> came a-running. But the music shop was still about to be sold. So our girl says, damn the man, and finds herself another duke to save the day. So all in the club can say, isn't it good? Isn't it grand? Isn't it great nowadays at the burlesque? I, I think you're giving Jess a run for her money 
Jess used to do our uh, our synopses, and I really think you've just given her a run for her money. That was excellent. Also, it kind of describes the movie. So I, if you didn't <laughs> catch it, <laughs> Tony uh, Tony definitely makes reference to the fact this movie is very reminiscent of a few other films. It's obviously uh, got some heavy Moulin Rouge influence. Um, there's some Chicago in here. There's even some Empire Records in here. And... It's just, it's a movie that's trying to be so much. I think that the the only thing we're kind of missing from these synopses right now is the, the club is in danger, shock, awe, and the, cl- the club owner, Cher, is trying to figure out how to keep this club afloat. And there's this wealthy gentleman who's made an offer for the club, but it turns out his uh, his motives are not quite as pure and artistic as he would originally make them seem. <gasps> and of course, right, I know, gasp, shock, awe. And, you know, not only is he is he trying to make a play for the club, but he also makes a play for our main character, whose name is Allie, and that is the cause of some romantic tension in the movie, while she is also pursuing a relationship with this very doe-eyed bartender named Jack, I mean, a doe that has guy liner on, but still doe-eyed. And and that's, I mean, that's the gist of the movie right there. It's mm-hmm. it's her struggle, and I use that term very loosely, to to get noticed, to be on stage, to, to follow her dream and be a performer, while Cher's character is trying to keep her dream alive in the form of this club called Burlesque, where they occasionally actually do burlesque. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think we've summed it up and in less than oh wow, 10 minutes. We're 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 on a roll today, guys. We could take a break. Yeah. Professionalism. <laughs> uh but I do want to ask you Matt, did you like burlesque? Yeah, this is a con uh, a conversation, a general conversation I've been having a lot lately is the idea uh, did did I enjoy the movie? Did were there problems? Yes, but did I enjoy the movie? And the truth is, overall, I enjoyed Burlesque. You know me, I'm a sucker for a musical. I'm a sucker for Cher, you know. I can do all things through Cher who strengthens me. And it's just, it, it's a movie that has some of the right heart, some of the right motives. And it's just, it, it kind of unfortunately suffers from a few big, I, I hesitate to say mistakes, just just very fixable things. But yeah, I enjoyed the movie overall. Tony, did what about you? Did you enjoy burlesque? I enjoyed what burlesque could be, but mm-hmm. no, I think I was sort of in the I didn't enjoy this movie camp, unfortunately. Okay. There 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 are some good things in this movie. Uh, and if you don't mind, I would be really, really glad to just go right into it and say what I thought was good in this movie. Yeah, let's let's do that. Let's jump into what worked. Okay, so for me, the key thing that worked in this movie was the cast. You have Cher, who, as you said, is Tess, the uh, club owner. I love Cher. Uh, not necessarily for her music ironically i loved her in moonstruck and i have since i was a teenager uh, which is an amazing movie and you haven't seen it you should but then you get uh christina aguilera playing the alley the kind of up-and-coming you know western country girl with a heart of gold i 
I'm certain I've heard some of her songs, but I am also not like a pop music enthusiast. So if I seem really ignorant when it comes to talking about music and these music performers, uh, I apologize. But I'll say this within the first 30 seconds of the film. Well, two minutes, she starts belting out a song and I was like, all right, well, that's good. So she is good in this film. But then we get the amazing, the adorable, the lovable Stanley Tucci who we have already seen play a very similar role in Devil Wears Prada, which we've also movie-fixed. And I just, I can't get enough of that guy. I'm actually thinking I'm going to IMDB his profile and go just find a bunch of his movies and really appreciate him, because every time I see him, I love him. I want to give him a big hug. Uh, we have, however briefly, the great Alan Cumming, who, guys, if you're not familiar with who that is, all I have to tell you is, is Alan Cumming is the guy who goes, I'm invincible! But then we get other great actors like Peter Gallagher, who is doing a really great job on Grace and Frankie right now, but is always killing it. Uh, Kristen Bell is in this. She, this was 2010, so I don't think she was as big a thing as she is now, but she's still in this. And Eric Dane. Oh, Captain, my Captain Eric Dane from The Last Ship. And this other guy who, Matt, I think I'm going to let you talk about more, Cam Gigandet, who was in a Twilight movie that I think we reviewed. But yeah, this cast is just stellar, and there's a lot, of, a lot of good in this cast. And some of the musical numbers in, the, in this film, because, you know, it was supposed to be a musical, are actually really good, at least what you can see of them. And I really want to call it out from the costuming to the music to the dancing. There were some really, really good ones, and I wish I could have seen more of them. And that's, yeah, yeah, that's everything I loved in this movie. What about you? Um, I think you're right for the most part about the cast. I I disagree wholeheartedly on Miss Aguilera. I think you're completely right. Girl can carry a tune. She's a, she's a very talented vocalist. But her delivery of, I mean, arguably terrible dialogue to begin with, but her delivery is just painful at times in this movie, especially at the very, very beginning I was just thinking, man, she's not going to be able to carry this whole movie. But I think the supporting performers, as you mentioned, Cher and Eric Dane and Alan Cumming and Peter Gallagher, yeah, I, Stanley Tucci, I think, steals the whole movie here. He's just so charming and lovable. Um, and Kristen Bell, again, before she was really big, before she'd blown up, I think she might have done Veronica Mars by this point. But I think, I mean, anyone who's a Veronica Mars fan knows that when it was first on, it wasn't exactly a huge following. So she hadn't really blown up yet. She hadn't been in a Disney movie yet. So, <laughs> um, but she's great in this. And and I would say just overall, this movie doesn't suffer from a terrible cast. Uh, it kind of suffers from its two leads being kind of abysmal at times <laughs> i'm trying to be nice about it i really couldn't stand either of the lead performers christina aguilera and cam gijande or gigandet or however you say his name <laughs> i just couldn't stand this guy so was there anything else you liked other than the cast in this movie uh yes i i think as a movie musical it it really succeeded in some of its musical elements um some of the original songs in this movie are actually pretty good, and some of the arrangements of established songs are not bad either. Um, the 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 burlesque itself, the club, is a very interesting space. It's actually kind of a shame they didn't better utilize 
the physical location of the club because the few times you do kind of get to see the broader view, the broader scope of the club, it's a really neat space. And a couple of the musical numbers are actually executed really well. And we, you know, they're, they're costumed great. They're choreographed great. Like it, this is a, this is a kind of okay movie musical that really wanted to be a great movie musical. And it just, it, it had a few things holding it back, but I think in general, like as a musical, it's successful. It's just not as successful as it could have been. Agreed. And I I have a few theories on why that was, because I think you're right. I think it was trying to be the next big musical movie, such as Moulin Rouge, Chicago, the ones that came before it and really stood out for the years that it, uh, it floated around. But this one seems to have just sort of showed up and disappeared. And I think I know. I think I know why. Well, why don't you give us a give us a taste? What 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 wasn't working for you in this movie that that you think held it back from being a great? So I think what it was missing first and foremost was more burlesque. I think the title was burlesque. The set, the club, is a key. Uh, location in this movie but it never truly felt like a character in uh, the moulin rouge the moulin rouge felt like a character like the entire environment they lived in felt like a world of its own in chicago even though it takes place technically in jail cells and courtrooms it really takes place on a stage and they only sometimes pop out of there to remind you that this is technically happening in the real world too but then they go back to the stage where everything is big and grand and you know great and this didn't have that i think burlesque the club in burlesque didn't have a a a big enough voice, a big enough character as a set, as a stage. I think the performances didn't go grand enough. If some of them were good, but they were hidden, we would get over and over again, we would get cuts away to like plot things happening in the middle of a number. And there would be a discussion happening. Then we'd come back to the number and it was over and over again. And I would just be like, wait, wait, I want to see the, the number i mean you'll laugh at this matt because normally in a musical i hate when they stop the story to sing a song but mm-hmm. i felt like that's exactly what they didn't do and needed to do in this they needed to say stop the story you know let's yeah. watch this act this is a performance movie where we want to watch performances the stories aren't great one of the things you and i are glossing over is the love story and i'm willing to forgive the love story except it gets so much attention and it interrupts yeah. the performance I think I think what you're really hitting the hitting here is that the club itself and the story about the the losing the club and and the 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 jobs that will be affected if the club goes under is is really kind of the more interesting story in this movie that gets a total backburner treatment while we have this really loud and uninteresting kind of romance between Allie and Jack and we just what what you're saying is we want to see more of the club we want to see more of burlesque and i want to add to that that i wanted to see more burlesque as an art form burlesque is avant-garde and risque and it's just interesting and this movie was so you know pg about burlesque as an art form burlesque should be we get like a taste of it a little bit when Alan Cumming has his one scene like an hour and 10 minutes into the movie 
that, like you said, gets com- gets constantly cut away from to to feed the the romantic drama. But overall, the it, the movie's so tame, and that's not what burlesque is as an art form. And I think it was just such a disservice to burlesque fans, again, burlesque the art form, that the movie watered that down so much. But I would have liked to have seen more of that, more of the performance. I would have liked to have seen more of the club, like you're saying, more of that story. I just think it would have been more universal. Yeah. I I think, and I'm going to keep going back to the other examples because they just did it better, but I think in something like Moulin Rouge, where you see the life, like you don't leave that space ever and in chicago like i said it's very sparse they come in and out of the club constantly there's this whole like kind of almost la story that we've heard and that's because uh this movie is guilty of doing a thing a lot of movies we come to fix are guilty of and that's trying to tell too many stories or too much story there's an entire romantic comedy in this movie that is very paint by numbers, very basic. And I would forgive it if it was just an afterthought, if it was just flavor. But it, it really does just strangle this movie and and really reinforce that that safe PG story. It's technically a PG-13 rating, but I think this movie suffers from trying to appeal to like a mass audience and not offend anybody. And that just does not scream burlesque. I, I can't tell you why that happened. I can only theorize. One one thing you mentioned in our like pregame to this episode was the storyline with the one dancer who um, they think has the flu, but turns out, oh my God, no, she's pregnant. And then turns out that she's engaged and turns out she's engaged to some rich dude. And like the whole point of that storyline was for that, for Allie to have a place in the lineup but yeah. I think what you're another thing that you're hitting on that that I really like is if Allie and Jack's romantic like storyline had just been one of the storylines of the girls in burlesque and the movie was about the club and how it's not very L.A. like show the contrast to L.A. and this burlesque club and the stories of the girls and the story of. Uh, Sean Stanley Tucci's character, the story of shares of Tess uh, shares character, all their stories within the burlesque. I just think that would have been a more, more interesting. And then you could have had a very like tropey, um, familiar romantic story between Allie and Jack, because it's just one of a few stories being told. Yes. As an a story, it's just too weak to carry a movie, especially when the whole time you're almost like motioning towards the screen, like get out of the way. I want to see what's going on behind these characters. I want more of what's going on backstage. I want more of what's going on. Like what's Alan Cummings characters like thing. What he he's in the movie, like, but, and he's like the bouncer slash one of the performers, but we don't get anything interest more interesting. We just get like this little taste, this little tease of what's potentially a very interesting character. Yeah, he's very lively, but there's no there's no substance. I would say the same is almost as true for Kristen Bell's character, who is the rival to Ali, Christina Aguilera's character. There is a hint of a stronger relationship with Tess, you know, Cher, the mm-hmm. club owner. But Kristen Bell's character the whole time, she's sort of the the she was top dog and then gets pushed out, but she's also constantly drinking and they call her out for being an alcoholic. But they never go anywhere with that story. Yeah. 
She's she's the headliner at the beginning who can't quite keep her shit together because she's constantly drinking, she's constantly late, but Cher's character Tess is just continually giving her another chance, telling her don't do this again. And you're right, it's like they're it's it's like they're constantly setting that up to be something of substance that has no real payoff. And she just comes back at the end of the movie because she has it out with Cher and stomps off. She comes back, apologizes, and she looks better now, like she hasn't been drinking in the last 24 hours. Yeah, I thought for sure that, first of all, I thought for sure that the reveal was going to be that Kristen Bell's character, um, was her name, Nikki? Nikki Mm -hmm. ended up being Tess's like actual daughter. And that was like, I thought that would have been an interesting thing, but they didn't go that route. But then later on in the movie, they get into a Tess and uh, Nikki get into a fight in the parking lot, just a full on yelling match. And Cher tells her like, don't drive. You're too drunk. And she gets in the car and she's like, screw you. I'm leaving anyways. I thought for sure that her character was going to, you know, get into an accident and die or kill someone. They or were just setting it up. Any Anything to give that storyline some real substance, some real, like, risk, some some a, a character moment for, te- or for they Tess. They dropped it. They, it, yeah. it almost seems like, it almost feels like, and in a lot of places, it feels like maybe they cut stories to give more attention to the main actors, uh, Cher and Christina Aguilera. And I... I think this should have been more ensemble than even some of the other movies we've listed, like Chicago and Moulin Rouge, and we should have captured the life. Because the movie's called Burlesque. Yeah, I like that you compared this movie earlier to Empire Records, because I think one of the strengths of that movie, and if listeners don't know, that's Tony and I, that's one of our favorite movies. It's such a little gem. and But I think one of the strengths of Empire Records as a movie is it's about this record store. It stays pretty much in that record store, and there really and truly isn't a main character. You could make some arguments for a couple of them, maybe, but like in reality, it's a very ensemble movie. It's about it's about all the interrelationships of these young, like teenage characters and the owner of this record store and, you know, this kind of has been musician, but like they really kind of all have their own stories that touch each other's stories, but no one really like takes the reins as the lead character. And I think this movie would have benefited so much from that same treatment, like give, give a few of these girls, give Cher, give Stanley Tucci, give them all their moments, but let, let them all kind of even out. Yeah. But I mean, at the end of the day, this was a Christina Aguilera vehicle. It was meant to, to showcase what she could do as an actress. And the truth is she just didn't have the chops. Yeah. And that's, that was the other thing is aside from playing it safe, it felt like this was supposed to be sort of a launch, not just maybe necessarily for Christina, but also kind of like for Cher to kind of bounce back on with this and just for these two powerhouse uh, pop vocalists. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. I just, I I know they're really important. I again, couldn't name one of their songs because I'm the idiot, but I know that they're extremely popular and extremely important. And this was supposed to be sort of like a springboard to greater things for them. And that's really unfortunate because what, I think should have happened was instead of focusing that they should have been like the key runners into something that was just great in and of itself. And that would have been so much more of a, a springboard and a launch. Yeah. Could you imagine if we'd gotten just kind of a taste of, of, of Christina Aguilera as an actress, like of her, her performing abilities without being over inundated with her, it could have given her an opportunity 
to work on her acting skills in a little bit more of a safer environment so that after this, she could have done a little bit bigger role and stood in, and kind of eased her way in and said she kind of like went all in with her chips and didn't succeed. Yeah. it And I think, I think the other reason this sort of fell flat was I was doing some looking into like who made this movie, the director slash writer He's got a very, very small billing for either of those skills. In fact, this is the largest project he's ever done, a movie with a budget of $55 million that uh, gross barely made that back. And you figure after marketing and stuff that they don't list, probably, you know, lost money. I think the fact that you and I both watched it on Netflix means that it broke even, right? (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Man, I tell you what, though, I really think this movie has the chops to be something great. So can we get into fixing this thing? Yeah, absolutely, because I, I know you've got some ideas that you're excited about, and I have a couple that um, I'm, I'm also excited about. They're, they're, they're pretty big fixes uh, in general, but I, I'm excited about them. So what, lay, lay one on me. What's your, what's your first big fix for this movie? Well, let me break it down just a little bit more. I did a little bit of extra effort on this one, trying to be prepared and professional and whatnot. Uh, I want to talk about things in categories. I want to say there are things that need to happen faster in this movie. There are things that we need can do without that will help make this go faster. There are things we need to see more of that once we cut stuff out, we'll have time to put those in. And then there's just a couple like technical fixes. But... As far as what needs to happen faster, I think the big one is we need to see the transformation of the burlesque. And what I mean is, is in the movie, when the burlesques, pardon me, in the club originally, the the performers are lip singing and they're dancing and their costumes are kind of subpar and the dancing is even sort of not as flashy. And I... I was wondering, like, this is bad. Is this what they think burlesque is? But what I recognized an hour into the movie is once Christina Aguilera hits it big and does her, like, her big moment where she starts singing and doing the burlesque, everything changes. Like, the costumes suddenly look brighter and more elaborate. The lighting is better. The dancing is, like, harder. And I went, oh, my God. They were doing a... This was on purpose. They were transforming the club along with her like upping the performance value but it takes an hour for that to happen 53 minutes if you want to be technical before you see that happen and so i just thought the first part of the movie this is just kind of lackluster and so we need to speed that up she needs to be like in there on stage like revamping things if that's the way we're going to go with it right away And the way we can do that is by cutting out 90% of that rom-com they shoved into this movie with her and Jack. He's got a fiancé, they're roommates together because she gets, you know, robbed from her place and loses all her money. And there's just this whole, like, buddies to romance sort of story happening that, that doesn't need to happen. I mean, we know the story. Her name was Lola. She did the can-can. His name was Tony. He worked the bar. It's, you know, like, that's that's the romance they need to have. Maybe with or without someone dying in the end. I don't know. But then we could really get into the like, what we're talking about, the burlesque life and, and just all the other characters that we want to see, like 
figure out who Alan Cumming is, figure out who's like the, the woman, like you said, that got pregnant. I keep forgetting she's in the movie because you literally described every time she's mentioned. She shows up. They think she's sick. She's pregnant. Next time we see her is over 30 minutes later. She's engaged. Next time we remember her is 10 minutes later when they're all at her wedding. And oh, by the way, her husband is loaded. That that's it. That that story could you could take that story out and and not lose anything in this film as it is. So let's let's give that some life and show the struggles of someone working this kind of lifestyle and how like any kind of relationship or any kind of pregnancy could really, you know, be jarring and like painful and hard and and just so much more. But that's yeah, I guess other than that, technically I just uh I'm well. I don't. I don't want to get into technical. Uh, tell me what you think, Matt. Like, what did you? What are your big fixes for this? Um, I, my main fix, like I've already mentioned, is I would like to kind of back off of the Christina Aguilera storyline altogether and make it less prominent in the movie. Um, I'd like to give the Tess and Nikki story some more, um, more attention. Um, but one thing that really struck me in this movie was there's a bit where so in this movie, there's a character played by uh, the guy that played McSteamy back on Grey's Anatomy. He was in Last Ship. Uh, I don't remember what the actual actors are. Uh, Dane, right? Eric Dane, I think. There you go. Um, so he plays this character named Marcus Gerber, who's this very wealthy person who at the very beginning of the film is a potential buyer for the club. So the club's in trouble financially, and he's come in and he's he's trying to woo Cher's character he, he's into like selling. He's like their biggest fan, too. Like, he's like an A++ member. That's something they established. Like, he's been coming since the beginning. So he, he, he looks to be just like a guy who really loves the show. Yeah. So he comes in and he's taken an interest in buying the club um, for quite a bit of money. And it's something that Cher's character is considering. And once uh, Allie shows up, once Christina Aguilera's character shows up, he shows an interest in her and they kind of start dating. And he starts doting on her and taking her to these like really nice parties and buying her cool clothes and things like that. And honestly, like from the perspective of the movie is being kind of a nice guy. I mean, we don't. Yeah, he's not a dick. You don't. Yeah, we don't see scenes where he's like trying to pressure her into sleeping with him and she doesn't want to. Like, there's none of there's no like skeeziness going on, to be honest. He's being actually super nice. And what I really like about him is that in the scenes they do have together, he seems to like be genuinely listening to her, not just like nodding his head and thinking what it would be like to have sex with her. Mm -hmm. He's like talking to her, wants to know what her interests are, is encouraging to her. He's like kind of a nice guy. Yeah, he's trying to get her. Well, he's trying to get her like deep outside of this club because he's he's thinking she wants like bigger more actual Christina Aguilera kind of uh, fandom and stardom yeah he's offering to like use his connections to like help her further her career again not really giving us any indication that he's you know got nefarious intentions or anything like that nefarious about him the only thing nefarious about him is that he has wealth he is wealthy and therefore the movie just sort of kind of like oh 
Yeah, so you're kind of expected to be like, something's going on with this guy. But again, otherwise, he seems like a nice enough guy. Whereas we have Jack, who is the bartender that she kind of hits it off with at the beginning. They have this sort of like sparring flirtationship. And she, of course, gets robbed. So she needs somewhere to go. So she shows up at his apartment. But he's engaged. But his fiance is in New York and has been in New York for a while. So he starts... Have like he he moves her into his apartment. Oh, and she thought he was gay. That's why she went to his apartment. Yeah, there's a really atrocious scene where she says, "Wait, you're straight." Yeah, and it's yeah everything. A lot of the dialogue in this movie is just really first draft. But mm-hmm. so she she like moves in with him because of course he can't stand to see her standing out in the rain trying to figure out where she's gonna go. And it, they make it very clear in this movie that he has a fiance. They don't paint her to be like a bitch. They don't paint her to be this awful person. They don't paint, they just her, paint her at all. Be... We never see her until the very end of the movie. We occasionally hear him on the phone with her in order to establish that it's very clear that he has not mentioned that he's let this woman move in with him. So I, w- I want to just go ahead and throw out that he kind of seems like the skis from the beginning of this movie. A bit. It is implied later that she did know about it, but he undersold her as kind of like this fugly, he's not into her that way kind of thing. Oh, yeah. When she finally shows up, like literally shows up at the end, Allie is like, you told me that you guys broke up. And he says, we did. Did he not? That was unclear. I couldn't tell if he'd actually tried to break it off with her because her whole thing was, you can't just break up with me on the phone. You know, they've been engaged for X amount of time. So she suddenly, for the first time, ditches whatever she's doing and comes to see him to like rip him a new one. But I didn't right. think he necessarily lied about breaking it off. He, but he wasn't the most thorough and upfront with either party is I'm, I'm, I'm building a case right now. So like put a pin in this for a second and let's backpedal a bit. I want to be clear when things start going well with Mr. Rich guy, McSteamy, he, instead of him being happy for his friend, I don't care if if he's jealous or whatever. Like that to me, that's not a good enough reason. I'm so sorry. If this is a, someone that you care about and they seem happy, then you're happy for them. But no, he starts getting possessive and moody and broody and manipulative and saying like passive aggressive things. And it's so funny to me because at some point in the movie, he kind of goes off about Mr. Rich McSteamy and says, you know, he's just using you to get what he wants. He's not really interested in who you are as a person. And I feel like the movie doesn't do a very good job of making it clear that he's actually kind of the things that he accused of the other guy of being. And I would say my fix that I'm kind of leading to is I kind of wish the movie had gone this route. I think it would have been a very interesting twist on a in a movie filled with very familiar tropes and very cliche character choices and scenes it would have been very interesting that the the hot guy liner bartender turned out to actually be the um the like emotionally manipulative one and the the rich you know guy turned out to be an actual nice guy only because it just would have been a, the movie almost goes there anyways, mm-hmm. and B, it just would have been a refreshing change in a movie where everything else is so incredibly predictable. Right. If we're not going to downplay the relationship, let's at least make it interesting, because 
Aguilera's whole story is completely full of almost every stereotype of the, you know, rags to riches, country girl wants to go to L.A. and become a star. I mean, I wrote them all down. Do you, do you have a second? I could list them for you. I think it's pretty funny. Uh, sure. Because you can find these in almost any other movie like this. Like, step one, she has a dead mom. Step two, or point two, she's a little clumsy. Number three, she's a little messy. Of course, number four, she's got aspirations to move to L.A. Number five, she can't find work there. Number six, she gets caught in, caught in the rain at some point. She gets robbed at some point. There's a poor, cute, and kind boy that is her friend in need, and they get bonus points because he's got kind of a one-sentence sappy dream of becoming a music writer. She forces her way into her big shot, just ignoring all protocol or, you know, paying her dues or, you know, anybody telling her she can, which leads to number eight. She's hella entitled about everything she deserves. She has a rival who is really pissed at her for being really good. There's a, I'm going to use air quotes here, sleazy older man trying to take advantage of her, which, like you said, is arguable. And then at right. the very end, he doesn't really even yeah. seem sleazy at any point in the movie. But it's implied that that's happening throughout the movie. So I'm. I'm it's implied that it. you're supposed to feel that way. But I just what I, I guess the point I'm making is I just think they do a bad job of it. Well, and number ten, she gets everything she's ever dreamed of in the end, which is in this case, albeit a little bit less grand she becomes the headliner at a burlesque club that is not closing but still and she's got the boyfriend to be clear i don't i'm not saying i think she should have ended up with gerber i i think it would have been a lot more interesting especially if we're going the route of the movies about the club the movies about the sisterhood i Mm -hmm. think it would have been much more interesting if, if she didn't end up with either of them that she that she recognized that the one guy that gerber was literally just trying to be helpful in her career and didn't want anything more from her. And that the other guy acted like he really saw her and knew her. And and she recognized that that was not the case. I just, I don't know. I just think you could have done something different in this movie that, like you said, wasn't the list of 87 tropes that you just read to me. Right. I think, ultimately, though, it's better to just cut 90% of this relationship out, make it... A, you know, kind of a more simple love story that kind of happens alongside everything else that's happening. Yeah. Then it becomes more endearing and less distracting because ultimately when you call the movie burlesque, I want to see burlesque. And that that's the last thing I really think I want to fix in this uh, on a content, you know, story scale is I just I wanted more performances. I wanted to see those performances. That's something I'll say. This movie had... I didn't care for the cinematography. I felt like we need more wide, wider angles. We need to see more of the performance. We need to, the editing, we needed to hold a shot longer than a second and a half so that we could see the dance steps happening in succession. The way this is shot, and I don't think this is actually true, but the way it's edited and shot, it almost looks as they are putting together multiple takes of trying to do the same act to show a complete act. And even then they cut away Mm -hmm. to show the audience nodding in approval, like the actual people in the club watching it, nodding in approval, like this is good. And I'm like, I can tell this is good. I I don't need that. I need to see it. And I need to actually see it, not have you like, like I don't mind the camera moving. I don't mind it zooming, panning. And yeah, we want to get in there close sometimes, but just 
the choreography of the camera and the editing was really doing a disservice to the choreography of the act itself. Yeah. Something you didn't say earlier in our pregame conversation, but you, I feel like you were almost going to say was this movie is shot and edited like a music video and not like a musical. And I think that kind of summarizes what you're getting at here. It's just, it's constantly cutting away instead of just letting it play out, which you know, you mentioned White Christmas earlier and like some of the older musicals where they would you would you were allowed as a viewer to watch a performance and you're just not given that opportunity here. Right. And I'm not saying a static camera just pointed at the stage. You can still get creative, but it's funny. You're right. I think I am saying music video. And when I look at some of the work the director's done, it's been short films and music type videos like this. And I think they thought they were filming just a really long music video or a lot of different short music videos when in reality for this to be huge we needed performances i mean yeah go back to what are our two big ones moulin rouge and chicago granted moulin rouge does a lot of cuts but that's because the audience is part of the dance so when you when you cut to the audience watching the girls on stage they're actually all part of it at once they literally become part of it at once in one of the songs so that's a bit more forgivable because but in Chicago, I mean, you get to you you get back, you get to see the dances, you get to see all the action. You can get in close. Uh, you just you needed somebody like that at the helm of this film, directing it, saying, "No, I want big, I want more. We don't need all this lovey-dovey stuff, uh, or not even lovey-dovey. This this poorly written, badly performed, by the numbers romance." Yeah, I think. If, if her dream was the fantasy of being on stage and the fantasy of being a performer, we should have seen a nice, clear contrast between the almost like harsh reality of L.A. and everything outside of the club versus the, the fantasy and the dream of being in the club and on stage. Like, show why that's appealing. Show why that's her dream. Make it larger than life. Go, go above and beyond. Don't, it doesn't have to be believable when you're in the club. It has to be romantic. It has to be big. It should be heightened realism when we're in, in the club. Precisely. Well, I feel, I feel happy with this. I feel, I feel good. What, what do you, how do you feel? No, I, I, I like, I like what we're saying because ultimately what we're saying is, is the talent's there. The, the structure's there. The bones are good in this film it just it needed and you know what i'm even going to backtrack a little bit and say if we do what we're saying now if we kind of reframe this movie as less about ally and jack and that specific storyline if we if we pull the camera out a little further and make it about burlesque and about the club i don't even have that big of a gripe with christina aguilera in that scenario because she's not great but she's not so bad that i would I would remove her altogether in this instance. If she was one character in the lineup of Cher and Kristen Bell and, you know, the other girls in this club, then I, I say we could even keep her. We could even keep the the awful, awful Jack character. We could even keep him. <laughs> if right. we just re if we refocused our story on the broader scope of Burlesque the Club then you can keep we can even keep those if this is a negotiation table i'm i'm allowing it i want to be clear on something real quick for the audience uh, our audience 
when you say keep Christina Aguilera, you mean as far as having a like story in this. You were you were you okay with her performances when she did the burlesque? Because I loved her costumes. I thought for what I saw of it, her her dance was great, and I thought her music was good. So so did you? Are you? Do you have any complaints with those? Right. What I'm what I'm saying is in the in the beginning of this podcast, in the beginning of this episode, I was all for remove her from this movie altogether. The actress, Christina Aguilera, because she just, she can't carry that role over this length of time. She's not a good enough actress. She's for acting. She's okay. chewing acting. the scenery up. Mm-hmm. But if you reduce her character to being one of a handful whose stories are kind of all equally tended to, what I'm saying is I can, I'll, I'll retract that. I'll, I'll, I would put her back in the movie because she'd be fine for that. She just can't she can't carry the movie the way that she was clearly intended to do. Right. I understand now. And I just really wanted to clarify that and <laughs> chew the scenery. That was that was funny. We try to be nice on this podcast audience, but uh and if you liked I want to be really clear, if you liked Christina Aguilera, that's in in this as she is, that's fine. If you like rom-coms and all the tropes I just pointed out appeal to you, that's fine, too. I'm not necessarily hating on that. Hey, and that's something you and I talked about again in our pregame was tropes exist for a reason. Tropes are not inherently bad. Sometimes tropes are familiar and fun. Sometimes it's fun to watch something and recognize a trope and be like, oh, I know where this is going. But when you build your house, your, your foundation on all tropes, then there's no surprise anymore. There's no surprise and delight when you're watching it, you've got to subvert tropes. Sometimes you've got to flip tropes on their, on their ass sometimes. And I want to be very, very clear. Christina Aguilera, if you were listening to this podcast, huge fan of your work. (laughs) He loves how you choose scenery. You make it look so yummy. Oh, I think Christina Aguilera has an absolutely beautiful voice. I, I, I'm very glad she's not acting anymore. I'll just leave it there. <laughs> hey, you could say the same thing about me. <laughs> yeah, I can say lots of things about you, but that's for a different podcast on a different day. Yeah, that's another episode. But all right, Tone. I think I, th- I think we're we're good for a wrap up. Uh, do we want to talk about any other projects? Any other things we've watched lately that we want to recommend to listeners? Uh. I feel like I've done enough just by saying Moulin Rouge, Chicago, and Empire Records. Uh, But there is one more thing. Hang on. There's one more thing. I have been Mm -hmm. reading something that I think is really good. And just just to get a little nerdy on you at the end of the podcast, I picked up a one-off trade paperback called Spider-Man Life Story. It is written by Chip. I'm going to try and this is right. Chip Zardsky. And... The idea is is that it follows the life of Spider-Man from the 60s to current time as if he were aging along with us. And it it tends to pick out probably the biggest story in that decade in the Spider-Man verse and then something really important that was going on in that decade in the real world and how it affects Peter Parker. So we don't get a lot of Spider-Man Spider-Maning. I don't know. We kind of do, but a lot of the, each decade is a chapter and a lot of the chapters wrap up pretty quickly. So at first it's the sixties, 
the Greek goblin, and he's sort of on the fence about whether or not, as a superhero, he's obligated to join Vietnam. And then you've got the 70s, and this, I think it's the 80s is when he gets the symbiote, and you know, it just, it keeps going with each decade and he gets older. So, you know, he gets slower and he's not the same ambiguously mid to late twenties guy who can just keep doing this, but he does keep doing it. And the effect that has on relationships, you know, in his personal life. And we see that, but it always resets in the comics because, you know, he, he can't be too down and out, but this follows all of the major stories in Spider-Man's you know, career and a lot of major things that happened in our history and weaves them together in this really ingestible uh, trade paperback. And I can't recommend it enough. I love Spider-Man, but it's been a long time since I've read anything uh, Spider-Man because it all feels kind of played out for me. And this is the first time I really felt fresh and I could relate to it again as someone who is no longer 16, but 35 about to be 36 and that was spider-man life story i say check it out if you have any interest in comics hmm, that sounds pretty cool what about you uh what have you been watching doing listening to um well in keeping with the theme of musicals i thought i'd try and recommend a movie musical that probably a lot of people haven't seen but that i thought was absolutely incredible and i can't i, I it just it, it breaks my heart that this one got so unnoticed when it came out it's uh, cats in- isn't it you you actually did get the hallucinogens and saw cats nah you'll know when i've seen cats trust me you will know when i've seen cats um no this movie came back it came out in 2016 it was the third film from john carney who did the movie once uh back in the day once was this kind of indie darling that uh won an academy award for best original song for the song falling slowly that i think a lot of people have heard they probably don't realize they've heard it but they've heard it um but his third film was a movie called sing street it takes place in dublin in the 80s and it's about this super awkward kind of like high school private school kid that in trying to impress a a girl decides to start a band knowing nothing about music. And it's just (laughs) so stinking charming. And the music is super catchy. It's, it's all very familiar music. It's Duran Duran. It's like music of the eighties kind of restyled a little bit. And it's just such a charming movie. Uh, It also just recently uh, hit off Broadway. There's a, a Broadway musical version of this movie right now, much like they did with the movie once. Uh, but yeah, it's called Sing Street. It came out in 2016, uh, and it is just a delight, and I can't recommend it enough. Cool. No, I'll definitely check it out. Uh, cool. Speak, speaking of which, uh, if you guys wouldn't mind checking out some of our other uh, episodes of this podcast, that would be cool. We're hoping to do at least one a month now and trying to get it a bit more streamlined. And we're yep. also floating around the idea of making Matt start a uh, Twitch channel, Twitch predominantly being used for uh, watching people play video games, uh, usually live, but you can go back and watch them uh, later. My my purpose for this is actually the same as my purpose for this podcast uh, right here was is I wasn't talking about 
movies enough with Matt, so I made him do it in a podcast, and now I can't talk about video games with Matt because he never plays any of them, and there's actually a really <laughs> good backlog of games that I would love to watch him experience, and I think other people would enjoy that too, so... Wait a minute, Tony, you told me that you wanted me to do Twitch because you were awe-inspired by how good of a gamer I was, and you thought the whole world needed to see it. Oh, no, that's that that's totally true. I was just going to surprise him, Matt. I, I didn't, I didn't want to give away the, the goose with the gander. Is that a thing? <laughs> the goose for the gander? Who knows yeah. how that phrase goes? Yeah, um, we're, we're going to, I think we're going to do that because I would like to at least attempt this. So uh, stay tuned for more of that. But um, if you guys have us, any recommend, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, let us let us know what your feelings are uh, on our Facebook page, which is Matt. What's our Facebook page? Only on TSD. Right. We're still doing that one. We may change it, but we'll uh, we'll give some notice for that. Yeah. Just just let us know what you think about that and this podcast and just anything about anything. Really, it doesn't have to be related to us. Yeah, just, we're so lonely. Please, please message us. Please <laughs> just tell us how you're doing. But in all seriousness, let us know if you've got a suggestion for a future movie. We're going to try and keep this train going with some other genres besides just sci-fi fantasy. Um, I would like to pick, I don't know, I, I feel like doing something crazy like a foreign film might be a little too much of a leap right now. I was playing with the idea the other day, Tone, of like, what if we got real ballsy and real full of ourselves and went back and found a Best Picture winner like an Academy Award winning Best Picture winner to fix. And I will tell you, without without giving the goose for the gander, or however the phrase goes, I had to go back more than a decade to find a movie that I thought we could even fix. Because as uh, my friend, our friend Joey was reading these off to me, I was like, nope, that movie's perfect. Nope, damn it, we can't <laughs> fix that one. Damn it, nope, that one's perfect. But it took a while, and we fin- I finally landed on one that I was like, I think we could actually fix this. All right. Well, I mean, it's not like we have any accreditation or or any anything we actually have to live up to. We're just making this up as we go. So I don't see. Yeah, we, we have no real authority on. here. No, <laughs> <laughs> or necessarily skill. You know, talent. It's 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 all just again. So I can talk about movies with you. It's my favorite part of the podcast. Mm-hmm. It is. It is mine too. But my second favorite part is the fact that we have listeners, listeners that comment and maybe subscribe and maybe share. Hopefully, uh, this is one of those ones you don't mind sharing. So, uh, listeners, my fellow MFers, please, please participate, and we will hopefully figure out uh, another movie for you for February here soon, so you can uh, get ahead of it and maybe watch it along with us this time. Sorry, we didn't do that uh, with this one. All right, Tom, take us home. Read our exhaustive list list exhaustive list of credits. Exhaustive list of credits. Well, once again, I am your host, Tony, along with my co-host. Matt, that's me. Yeah. Uh, we're pretty much uh, the only two really working on this right now. We have the support of uh, our, our family and loved ones, and that's why we keep getting up in the morning. Wow, that's dark. And... <laughs> Hopefully we can uh, we can just keep growing and keep getting better. I don't have a sign out for this, Matt. You got to sign us out. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to this week's this month's episode of Movie Fixers. This has been Burlesque. We will see you next time on Movie Fixers. Bye.